Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. And today on the show, we're talking about Tinderbox, the untold story of the upstairs lounge fire and the rise of gay liberation by Robert Fiesler. We've brought back author and former book publicist Joseph Papa to help us break down this book. There aren't really going to be spoilers today, though. If you haven't read the book and you're not familiar with the Upstairs Lounge Fire, there's going to be a lot of new information. If you want more of Tinderbox without any spoiling at all, you can listen to our episode from May 20th, where we interview author Robert Fiesler about Tinderbox. As a reminder, everything we talk about on today's show can be found in the link in the show notes. That link will take you to all the books, movies, articles, and whatever else gets discussed on the show. Also in the show notes are links to all of our social media accounts, including our Instagram page at the Stacks Pod. You can stay connected with the Stacks through any of those links. If you want more of the show, head over to patreon.com slash the stacks to be part of the stacks pack. That's our own online community that gets you inside access to the show. You can join our virtual book club, find out guests in advance and get all of the inside scoop. Head over to patreon.com slash the stacks and check it out. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and that you leave us a rating and review. It goes a long way to helping the show reach new audiences. All right, now it's time for my conversation with Joseph Papa for the Stacks Book Club. We're dissecting Tinderbox by Robert W. Fiesler. Okay, everybody, we are back today with Joseph Papa. Joseph, welcome back. Thank you so much. Yay. Happy to be here. I'm very excited to be talking to you today about this book. It is June and it is Gay Pride Month, and we're going to talk about a kind of hidden story in gay culture, I guess, or the history of America and more specifically the history of gay folks in America. So the book is called Tinderbox. It's the untold story of the upstairs lounge fire and the rise of gay liberation. And it's by Robert W. Fiesler. And it's kind of a mix of true crime meets political organizing. It's kind of like both things in one, which we can talk about and later. But before we do, I just want to start where we kind of always start is what did you think of this book generally? Um, Oh, I, I really loved it. It, I did not know about the fire. So, Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the events that happened in, in 1973 or whenever it was. Um, and I think it's, it's beautifully researched. Um, and it doesn't, um, he, he does a really good job of, capturing the space too. I mean, it's New Orleans, which has its own, certainly its own mm-hmm. language, even its own vibe, its own uh, parlance. And he captures that really well. Mm-hmm. And I just, I thought the the research, um, the way that the research is laid out combined with the sort of heart-wrenching story is, right. is, is, is pretty impressive. Okay. I agree and disagree. So I liked the book. I didn't love it. I didn't die for it. What I liked was the fire stuff. I liked hearing from the victims. I liked the political context, like leading up to it and during, but I sometimes struggled with the writing. I sometimes felt like I had to keep going back to reread it, to reread because there was like a lot of commas and like extra language for me that kind of got in my way, which is so rare in this kind of book. I feel like sometimes that happens to me when I'm reading fiction or when I'm reading something that's like more focused on the writing versus the story. Mm -hmm. But I kind of got caught up 
Like I would read a whole page and be like, wait, what? Let me go back or whatever. So I enjoyed the content of the book immensely, but the actual writing sometimes got in my way. I think that's fair. I mean, I can see that um, certainly. And I, I think he also struggled a little bit with whether or not to present it in a linear fashion Mm -hmm. because it's sort of, I mean, he, you know, like most, you know, like a lot of nonfiction, he starts off with the event. Like, you know what happened, you know, that there's the fire, you know, the date, the, the blah, 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 the sort of bare bones facts of it. It's a rough analogy to have used given the topic. Um, and then, and then he kind of goes linear, but he sort of jumps and I can see uh, that certainly was kind of got him. Yeah. The other thing is like, well, I should say this now. There are not spoilers on today's episode, but if you're not familiar with any of this story, it will be new information. It the book pretty much starts out laying everything out for you, so there's not spoilers. But if you're if you want to read the book and you don't want to know anything, then I would say stop listening and come back when you finish. But otherwise, it's a pretty safe episode for anyone. There were other things that made it complicated. Like there's a lot of street names, which is always hard if you're not familiar with a place. There's because it was a gay bar. There's a lot of men's names, which I sometimes struggle with. I like when there's a variety of character gender so that I can remember like, oh, this name goes with this storyline. That's not his fault, obviously, but all of that stuff kind of contributed for my struggle in reading the book. That being said, I didn't know this story either. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. I mean, I I think for me, that was the sort of, that was really what hit at home is I'm, you know, I'm gay. I'm very politically active. I uh, worked for an LGBT advocacy group for a number of years. I've been, you know, I've been involved. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not a wallflower when it comes to, to LGBT issues. And this was until the Pulse nightclub shooting, the largest uh, mass death of gay people in the country. Right. And it, and I think what's so astonishing and what he does, one of the things he does really well is give a, uh, a glimpse at the really poor job that the media did at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, you know, 32 people died in a, in a, in a gay bar, uh, in new Orleans and it barely made the news anywhere, including in new Orleans. I mean, it was, right. I think it was only on the front page for maybe two days there yeah, like two and then, and then kind of kept slipping back. But right. Right. I mean, I definitely want to talk about the response to to the event in at the time and also now. But one of the things he does say is that the book or the, the story has received more coverage since the Pulse nightclub shooting than it did in the 40 years between when it happened and the Pulse nightclub shooting, which is like pretty insane to think about 40 years having less coverage than something, you know, and, and 1973 isn't that long ago. Right. Like that, that is very much the people who would have been at that bar are in their, late 50s, 60s, 70s now. Right. Like for us, that's like our parents' right. age. Right. And so to think that like one of the things that really hit home for me in this book is how much has changed and how much is the same, not always for not always for LGBTQ, but just for how we treat the quote unquote other or the right. marginalized person. It was that was one of the things that was Hard for me. Hard's the wrong word, but it was it was it was difficult to sort of come out on the other end because you're right. We've come so far mm-hmm. on for LGB issues, right? You know, it's um, that's right. The T. The, the, you know, obviously, we have a lot further work to do for transgender people, but it it almost feels like you said it's this was nineteen I think seventy three. It's surreal that this is. I mean, this is essentially in our lifetimes. I mean, right. neither of us were alive, but. And and to look at how far we have come, I feel a certain as a like I I've, I think you and I have talked about this before, but I feel a certain amount of um, guilt because I think that the only reason that the the LGB issues have come so far is because white men mm-hmm. fall, can fall into that. You right, know, a white man is never going to be a black person, pers- you know, being right. shot unarmed by, a, you know, by, right. you know, this, this is the only other that a white man can be really right. for the most part. And I think that there are cultural dominance led to the fast acceleration and it pisses me off, frankly. Right. Well, it's tricky because you're looking at like, when we talk about issues of, you know, race and we talk about women's gender equality or women identifying or, you know, anything to do with gender and gender queerness that doesn't, that's not inclusive of white men necessarily as the people. And because, you know, as you're saying, because white men can fall into the, 
to the gay, queer, whatever you want to call it, they are able to get a lot done because they still have the clout of being white men and they can, in a, in order to make change, they can tamp down maybe part of their gayness in order to like come into a room and say, we need to fight for these things. And the other white men in the room are like, yeah, that's right. This white guy's making it okay. And then he's like, oh, actually, surprise, I've been gay all along and you didn't know. And not because he's closeted, but because he's using his otherness as a tactic. Like he's using his ability to be in the same room. Whereas if I walk in a room to talk about women's issues, you see a woman, you see a black woman. I can't not be that in certain settings. And so I can't use my brain or my other things that I could use if I were a white guy. Like I don't have that cloak of invisibility. Obviously on the flip side of that, and this book talks about it a lot, there's a ton of problems with you know, men having been closeted and like what that brings up. So I'm not necessarily talking about people being closeted. I'm talking about using your other identities in order to invoke change for an identity of yours that is marginalized. Right. Is that the right word for it? I don't even yeah. know if marginalized is right. No, it's I mean, tricky. it's a, it's a, t- this is a, it's a tricky thing to talk about. And, and, uh, you know, I think one of the things is that the book sort of accidentally does is show the importance and need for intersectionality. Right. Um, and it's astonishing to me. I mean, I'm just sort of surprised because I feel like now as a, as a gay person that, you know, we have the, the, the movement, the LGBT movement is, is supported by women. It is Mm -hmm. supported by black people, other people of color. I mean, we're, there is a, um, and that doesn't, that did not exist in this book. Um, you know, he, he talks about, um, there were, I I think, I think the only victims were white and black. I don't think there were any, um, uh, any other races, but you know, the, the NAACP had nothing to say. The, um, other racial justice groups had no interest in this because of the hot button gay gay issue. And, you know, that's, that's, that's just, that's something that would, you know, you, can right. even fathom that happening now. Well, so, okay, let's talk about, well, let me ask you this one question. Then I want to talk about this a little more. Here's my question. I never know if I'm doing this right or wrong. Is queer a word that straight people can use? Because I use it a lot. Obviously gender queer, I know is okay to say, but like if I call someone queer, cause I know it used to be derogatory and is it a safe not a state. Is it an appropriate word for straight people to use when referring to like groups of people who are whose sexuality can be on a spectrum? Yes, I think absolutely. Okay. And um, I think that it's also it, there's a there's a small movement or a small push for queer or Q mm-hmm. to replace the the ever growing LGBTQ plus a, you know yeah. and. Um, which I don't know if I'm behind. I mean, they just want Q. Q. Oh. Um, and to sort of be that, that catch all and Q being a, uh, you know, standing, a stand in for queer. So yes, I, I queer okay. is absolutely usable. Cause and- in this book, queer is used drug, like used as a derogatory term. So I was like, Oh, have I been using a word that I'm not supposed to be using? No. And I think it's, and I might be wrong, but I think it's only used derogatorily in the context of the 70s. Well, right. That's yeah. why I'm asking. Like, no. obviously in a book about the 1850s, the N-word would be used versus like a book now written by someone who was using it colloquially or whatever. But I was like, wait, am I using a word that is for gay people or people or LGBTQIA people that I'm not supposed to be using? So think you so. think I mean, it's they, a safe I word? I think it's a safe word. Okay. I mean, they're, they're Joseph's probably... giving me permission, but if it's not appropriate, please let me know. There's a I third don't want to be a hater. There's a third-year Harvard Law student on Twitter who will disagree with me. Okay. But, um, Got it. Yeah. No, I think it's – because I think it's also just – I think the, this genera- the generation that's coming up now, I mean, when I talk to 21-year-olds, 18-year-olds – they don't identify. They don't. They they don't identify as anything, and, right. and not in the same way that, that I when I was coming up, like claimed to be bi because I wasn't ready to be gay right. yet, or wasn't ready to say I was gay yet. I think kids today just like they're not confined by right, and and so queer is a yeah. I kind of like the idea of queer it. also because I feel like it aligns all people who fall into that together, as opposed to being like LGBTQ. Well, I'm T, but I'm not L. Or I'm I, but I'm not B. You know, it's like Q is like we're together. And I feel like that also leverages this like white male privilege that comes with this movement. Right. Well, Um, because I, I mean, like 
I, we talk about gay rights right. as this thing. And like, I don't think there's anything wrong with the term gay rights uh, on its, on its face value, but it, when you, you know, when you get deeper. down to it, it isn't. And like, and there's always, you know, in conversations, people will say, you know, I'll say, Oh, she's gay. And you know, someone will correct me. And I'm, and I don't like the lesbians that I know don't mind being called gay, but I know it's just this like right. really strange area. So all that to say is I think right. queer is this beautiful term that just kind of okay. captures it. I like using queer. I kind of feel like I felt that intuitively, like this is more inclusive because um, I've done some reading on people who are genderqueer and it felt like that felt better than saying trans because not everybody who is genderqueer is trans. And like sometimes when you start getting into these labels, then you have to be like non-gender conforming or whatever. So right. uh, that was like a whole lot. But I think it's worth saying because I language does matter and language is important. And I think on one hand, you can be kind of flip with language and say something for effect or just in a certain setting versus like, when you're actually trying to use language effectively, right? Like, right. you know, and that's true for everyday life, not just when we're talking about race or politics or gender or anything like that. But I do think it's worth kind of noting. Well, and people, you know, people died in the fire that today we would call trans or, or genderqueer right. or, but they, I don't, you know, I don't, right. I don't even know what they called them at that time. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't Nothing just, nice. right. <laughs> Correct. Well, I mean, even, even amongst the community, right. I'm not sure what, right. they, you know. Sure. And um, like, this is also super cultural, like in different countries, there are different, um, different gender identities and sexualities that we don't recognize. Like, um, I believe in Taiwan, they have something called tomboy which is not what we would call a tomboy. Like it's not a girl who identifies as a girl who dresses mm -hmm. boyish, who likes soccer or something, right? It's like more in line what we would call a woman or a woman identifying who dresses and or woman who who not not woman identifying. A woman who dresses and feels and behaves like a man but isn't actually trans so like we might say like someone who's butch or something like we don't have the right word for right. it but there's so much language around gender and sexuality and identity and all of this stuff that it's just like who knows right what the correct well, answer and is. it must be so powerful i, I didn't know about that and that's got to just be so so powerful to ha to have the term right alone because it gives it a realness that right you know we don't give to you know i mean I, I can't working in in politics and working in, in in a queer space, and in Virginia where I work, like I, you know, so many people will say, "Oh, oh, what's the Q for?" And it's this like kind of, you know, I I think some people are genuinely curious, but a lot of even well-meaning right. cis straight people, cisgender straight people are kind of they're just baffled by right. by this and so they they mock it a little bit right. and well and they don't have to take it seriously because it's not their identity and i think that's part of it too is like as someone who is cisgender heterosexual it's like i i need to be taking or we need to be taking other people's identity as seriously as we would want someone to take our own right and that not knowing is one thing and you should ask someone that you're not imposing on like I would ask Joseph because you're my friend of a long time and I know that you know me, but don't assume that everyone knows you and expects your expect that they should have to answer your questions for you. Like there's also this great website. It's called Google. You can mm -hmm. find so much there. You can Google what does the Q and LGBTQIA plus stand for? How about the plus? Like there are things that you could be doing, but also if you don't feel like that's right for you, like find a friend. If you have like, there are outlets where you're not imposing on it and mocking and belittling people, right. even if you think your intentions are pure because intentions are a nightmare. And I, I love what you, that you mentioned the like find a friend thing. Cause you and I have both done that on issues. Right. I've done it on issues of race right. with, for you and you've done it on LGBT plus issues with, for me. And, um, you know, it's, it's helpful and it's great to have a space where you can learn and, and have a little sounding board on, on, right. Yeah. Right. So Did get, get you? yourself a friend, yeah, get yourself a friend Google. Yeah. or Google a friend. Hey, Google, can you be my friend? Um, we were going to talk about something about the book and I forgot, I said, we'd come back to it and now I can't remember. Oh, I think it was about the, um, the media. The oh yes. Okay. So the media, basically what happened is this fire happens and uh, well, should we set the state? I mean, it was, yeah, a, we should it was do. a, um, well, the bar, the bar itself was, I mean, in New Orleans, you know, I think in most cities at the time, you know, it was not, it wasn't an official gay bar. You had to like ring a bell to get in. Right. And they had like a green book for gay people. 
like a vacation guide. Right. Um, it was called Bob Dameron's address book. Right. And it was basically like green book. So it was like gay folks had this book so they knew which bars were safe for them to go and be out in or hotels they could stay in and right. not be bothered by jerk straight right. people. Or, right. And, you know, so it, it was, it was, uh, it was also, and this is what I find so fascinating about it. It was also the home of the New Orleans MCC, Metropolitan mm-hmm. Community Church, who had lost their space and it started having their Sunday church services right. at this bar. And then Sunday was their biggest night. So people would go to church and then they'd stay and have, you know, $1 unlimited beer for a couple hours. Right. And, um, you know, the, one of the things the book did for me too was I, I've, I mean, I've always liked gay bars, but I think as time has gone by, I've kind of, I don't know. I just don't, I'm not drawn. I, I, I've lost my draw to mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. And this book sort of reignited that for me. Right. Oh, God, that's my second bad pun. It's okay. It's not a pun. You don't um, Not pun, but my right. second bad figure of speech. Um, it, it, uh, well, it reignited it for yeah. me. Um, but really made me realize like the, impo- the importance of that, that space, even now. I mean, even though I feel safe 90% of the time right. out there. But anyway, so they, um, you know, it was this, it was this safe space for, for queer people mm-hmm. and in a, in a place where you could, you could, I mean, it, at one point just before this happened, the recommended sentence for being caught doing some, a, a homosexual sex act was mm-hmm. life in prison with hard right. labor. This is 40 some years ago or 50, 40 some years ago, or I guess that was 50 years ago. Anyway, so it was this place that people could go in New Orleans to, to find a community and it was the busiest night of the week, which was a Sunday. It was the middle of summer. The sun hadn't even set, which I just – something about that also just feels weird mm-hmm. that, that it was still light out when 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 the fire started. Uh, it was right near sunset. And, um, and was- so the, I, this is what I wanted to talk about, which is we were talking about the NAACP not coming out and getting involved. But what I want to talk about is the fire itself was set, we think the, – so there, the – case never, they never charged anybody. There was never a trial. There was never anything. There's a prime suspect who has since, who soon thereafter killed himself. And so there's kind of questions, but not really, I think it's fair to say. Correct. Yeah. He set the fire, we think, because he was mad. He got kicked out of the bar for being a jerk, basically. But part of the thing about this book, which I felt like kind of aligned itself with the Pulse nightclub shooting, is that this fire was not set to kill gay people as a terror act. It was set to kill or was set to allegedly scare the shit out of this bar of particular gay people. Like, so that it wasn't necessarily a hate crime. So, cause mm-hmm. the guy who set the fire was also gay yeah. and was a patron. I mean, he and was a patron yeah. and had been there before and continued to frequent gay bars after right. this. So like there is some, you know, in in the Pulse nightclub shooting, that shooter went in as an attack on gay, queer life and people and to make a political point. And this was not political. Right. It was scary and it was terror, but it wouldn't be considered a terrorist act, I don't think, because there wasn't a political motive, which is part of that definition. Sure. And yeah, I mean, I think that is one of the, the, the weird pieces of the book because right. – in in so many of these instances, and in, you know, and burning of black churches, and right. um, mass shootings that we seem to have every day, there's you know, there's a there's a deep seated hatred and a premeditation that right. is not a revenge for something that happened five minutes ago. Right. Like this right. was like he got kicked out of the bar, went to Walgreens, bought lighter fluid, came back, lit it up. Right. This isn't. I wrote a manifesto. Right. I've been thinking about this. This bar specifically, right. like. It, so, so to me, what going back to the NAACP thing and kind of like how nobody spoke out, I don't know that they would have had it been a straight bar or like a bar, I guess was what we would call that, and someone had done the same thing. Do you know what I'm saying? I like, do, but I, I, I disagree a little I, bit. I, I feel yeah. like, sure, now they would because that's a marginalized group and there would be some solidarity. Sure. But at the time, I don't necessarily know that a lot of groups were would be doing that. Like I think it's both things. Sure, 
as groups that represent marginalized people, they should be joining together and fight, like sticking up for each other, et cetera. But like, I don't know that this exact crime is they, that same thing. Sure. But I, no one knew that at the time, except for true. the investigators. And that's true. And that hadn't really come out until, you know, until years later when they could look at the right but it wasn't being presented as a hate crime either it was being presented as just like fire gay fire yes and i and i think i mean yes it was just being that's that's fair i would also just sort of i think another piece of that though is you know and this may be getting a little too you know philosophical or whatever but i mean without the prejudice and without the um, marginalization you wouldn't have had the need for it Mm-hmm. You know, in a sense, right, right? Of course. And he also talks about this, I think, in the book, that the you know the building wasn't inspected, and right. and in a way because of what it was, right. I think people just kind of like let it, you know, that it right. was just kind of forgotten about. Yes. In a in a city that had pretty stringent regulations at the time, I mean, he talks about the other buildings on the street that had, you know, I mean that the 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 it was a wood, it was a matchbox. Right. I mean, it, right. it was it was it's not a surprise that it burned. I mean, I think I think the fire fire itself lasted. I mean, I think people thirty two people died in a matter of like three minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's like three hundred and sixty seconds. I think is what he says. Right. Um, yeah. No, I I agree with all of that. Like, I, I I'm not saying. I guess what I'm saying is kind of like the there's a weird vagueness in the book that wants the reader to connect pulse and what happened here in a way that I don't feel is fully honest to the spirit of either tragedy. And they're both tragedies in their own rights for different reasons. Like where the upstairs lounge fire to me felt like a tragedy of, of society overlooking or criminalizing or, you know, condemning people, gay people as a whole versus pulse felt like a, a attack, a hate crime, something specifically against. So like something something that was targeting gay people versus something that is a tragedy because these people were gay, they were not given the same the same treatment that a group of straight people would have. Does that make sense? Sort of, but I but I think it's also being Or am I being crazy? Oh, no, I don't, neither. Um I mean, it makes sense and you're not being crazy. Okay. <laughs> not neither. <laughs> um uh I think um but I also think there's a benefit of looking of like hindsight sure. on that a little bit that wasn't there at the time. And I think if it had been 32, let's take people out of the equation. Okay. If it had been 32 dogs uh-huh. uh, in an animal shelter, right? I'm, I feel like it probably would have gotten more coverage sure. than it did. Right. And I think that that, you know, so, so no, it was not committed as a hate crime, even though I don't think hate crime is, I know you weren't saying this, right. but hate crime wasn't a, a, wasn't part wasn't of the language term, there, right. but I think that it's still it, thirty-two people died, and it was it was just kind of eh, well, right? And 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 the way that the media talked about it, um, he, he uh, the, Robert in the book s- says something like the, a lot of times they would reference um, that the bar was quote very popular on a Sunday, right? To sort of imply Give, yeah, that uh, people right. who would be at church wouldn't be there and gay people right. wouldn't be at church because they're sinners. Right. Or they'd so. be home with their families right. or, or what have you. And, you know, so, I, I mean, there was this, this um, coded language that was mm-hmm. used around it to sort of excuse it in mm-hmm. a way that, that I think, um, you know, and then at the very least that then why wasn't there a call for stricter building regulations right. at, at the very least? Right. I, mean, I even agree. If, yeah. yeah. Like I think that the, tragedy of this crime or like the indictment of this crime is on society as a whole, as mm-hmm. opposed to the guy who actually lit the fire. Whereas when you look at like the Pulse nightclub shooting, that really felt like a, like he was the bad guy, the right. guy who did that. And so that this is more saying like in 1973, America and New Orleans was garbage when it came to, right. to gay people right. as a whole. Well, and I think, I think another sort of like sub thesis of the book is that for movements, you know, for whatever the movement is, unfortunately, someone or people have to die. Right. He for, says that in the introduction. He? Okay, he yeah. says something like, yeah. um, I have it. He says something like the combination of tragedy and politics leads to change. Right. And this, he, and this, this didn't. didn't. And I think that's what's so fascinating right. because Stonewall was a few uh, years, a few before. years before, it was 69, I think. Yeah. And 
you know, that obviously is, is referenced as this, you know, huge moment of change. And it's just, it's strange that, you know, this, um, that this wasn't that. And, right. and for me personally, uh, um, pulse was a huge moment. Of, I mean, I, my husband and I had been talking about leaving New York and when the pulse nightclub shooting happened, it was this, it was like a, a sort of switch went off and it's mm-hmm. what, um, we had been talking about moving to Virginia and I looked, you know, the next, that, that week after I looked up a job, uh, was looking at jobs and this job at an LGBT advocacy organization was mm. open. And, you know, I left a kind of nice publishing job to, to, to do this. And, you know, I'm, that's an obviously just very personal, uh, effect of, you know, a tragedy sparking change. And I think the pulse, the other thing that pulse did, I mean, I, I think it, and it breaks my heart for, well, literally everyone who's died of gun violence, but in particular the, the students in, in Newtown, because I, I kind of thought that was going to be it. Mm-hmm. I thought Newtown was going to be the thing that right, the, brought the about correct some tragedy change. to bring change. And, you know, it wasn't. And, oh, wait, I'm, con- I'm conflating. Um, I'm conflating. This is how sad America is. I'm conflating two Florida mass shootings. I'm mm-hmm. conflating the Parkland. Parkland. Um, right. uh, well, with- but I, I was going to say kind of a similar thing is like, you know, per the book, tragedy plus politics equals change. And that is true when change happens. But I do think that like we've kind of stalled out as far as gun violence, tragedy plus politics. Like America is really just blowing it. And that's a bad pun too. When it comes to gun violence, like what there is not enough tragedy to make change uh, if you divide by politics, right? Right. Like there's nothing, there appears to be nothing in politics that is able to, to change gun laws. And that's really terrifying. And I think like when we look back in 40 years, hopefully things will have changed and it'll be kind of the same thing as like this tinderbox story will someone will write a book about that terrible church shooting in Charleston and people will be like, Oh, I don't even remember that. You right. know, like, like that barely made a blip. I mean, people do remember that shooting now, mm-hmm. but still there was the Texas shooting uh, at the church in Texas. Right. There have been just so many that like, there's going to be a plethora right. of, unfortunately, of books that come out in 40 years where people are going to say, oh, my God, I can't believe this terrible thing happened and nobody did anything. Right. And yeah. I think that like that t- getting back to kind of where we started, which is there's a lot of this book that shows change in progress when it comes to gay um, gay rights. But there's also a lot of this book that is still an indictment on America's ability to change and grow and accept people's humanity. Um, another thing that this book made me think a lot about is they talk about how uh, the the men in the gay bars and, and gayness in general was criminalized and how, you know, just by being in that bar, because being gay was a crime, it made you a criminal and not worthy of a good investigation or fire safety and right. inspections. And it made me think a lot about what's going on currently in this country when it comes to immigration. You know, the president mm. recently came out and said, these people are animals, which is like the number one way to dehumanize people. And it's kind of that same thing. It's like, if you can criminalize people who are coming to this country, then you can say they don't deserve the same things. They don't deserve a bed. They can sleep under a bridge. They don't deserve like, right. and that is all this same playbook from when being gay was a crime, right? right? Like it's like you're criminalizing people for trying to just like live their life. Right. And you're, and you make it, you make it hard for them to be, you make it impossible for them to be good citizens. You, you can't, um, you know, you can't go to the cops for a reasonable, you know, if you witness something, you can't, you know, you can't, and this applies to both situations, both, you know, what happens in Tinderbox and also what is happening to, to immigrants right now. You know, you're not in a position to, to, just live your life in a, in a functional way. And, and, um, you know, you, in the, in Tinderbox, you know, you'd be, um, if you, if you were, you were beat up and I think this is probably something, you know, we see it with these women, these young women in detention centers who get mm-hmm. raped. I mean, but if, if in, in Tinderbox, if you were assaulted by, um, there was a, you know, he talks about fraternities at the time who mm-hmm. would go into the bars and sort of lure, kind of a la Matthew Shepard right. um, who would lure guys out and beat them up and steal their money, you, can, you have no recourse because you, what are you going to do? Say I was right. flirting with these guys and then they robbed right. me because that's because you're the criminal there. Right. 
And we're still doing that to people. Like I mean, you're we're, criminalizing humanity. Right. Like our people's lives. Right. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I don't want to conflate too many things. However, I do feel like there are parallels. And I think it's worth noting that while there is progress in any one place, there's also still the same stuff going on. It's not like a to-do list where you have all these groups and you're like, okay, check, check, check. Like we turn the page, we're done. It's like you check one box and then that just makes room for a new group of people to be criminalized or marginalized or turned into others. And I think that to see, you know, homosexuality as it was in 1973 and to see so many parallels is really that was what was hard for me in reading this book. Like that is what affected me most. Completely. Was like, sure, gay liberation movement is awesome. Like we did it. Gay people can get married, like they can adopt children, they can have jobs, they can be out. Like yes, we're awesome. And then it's like, sure, but And still there's so much more. And like when we talk about these coalitions and intersectionality, like there's got to be more coming from, you know, the LGBT community too at this point. And like when we talk about white men and there's so much violence against trans women, mostly – well, trans women period and trans women of color. And it's like where are these people? Right. Where No, I think you're exactly right. I mean – and Not to point fingers. No, I mean – well, I'm – a a gay white man and I'm pointing fingers at gay white men. I mean, obviously not all, but you know, I, I think, and I see this time and time again, I think, you know, men make more money. Right. So when you have two men, two gay white, you know, white people make more money and men make more money. So when you have, when you have a two gay men, two gay white men together, it's very easy to, to, to watch them sort of forget that, you know, I, I, if I could make every gay person, uh, and I do mean gay person, read this book, um, it, 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 or a book, it would be this one because I think it speaks to, it's so you know because this was in our lifetime, it's easy to imagine 
it's easier to imagine how your, you know, naked ass at Coachella or mm-hmm. Burning Man or wherever and or at Fire Island, like great, go to those places. I'm not I'm not judging the the, the places, but you have these freedoms. Like you are able to right. live so openly and not even think about it in, in some instances, most instances. And that would not have been the case 20, 30, 40 years ago. And that's exactly what so many other people are experiencing right now. And it's, right. and I don't think that, that a number, I, I don't think that the, a, a number of members of the gay community have been great about acknowledging that. And yeah. I don't think, you know, I don't think it was the author's, um, it, it's, it's not, he doesn't explicitly yeah. say that, but it's kind of clear. It's it pretty comes clear. through. It feels a, clear. And I think that's a, it's, I think that's a triumph of the book yeah. in a way, you know, cause he's not, he isn't, he doesn't need a finger wag. Right. But and I he think, doesn't, the subtitle isn't like the upstairs lounge fire and how it pertains to today. Like it's right. not, he is telling a very specific story and he does pretty much stay in his lane or like in the lane of the book, right. which I like because I also like when authors lead me to water, but I feel like it's my own Completely. drinking of it. Yes. But I'm like, oh, I figured this out. And the author's like, yeah, you idiot. Like, <laughs> but right. There is one part of the book that I just thought was so amazing to read his writing about the actual fire. Like it's like 10 pages or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's more. I don't know. I could not. I was like wrapped. You're sweating. I mean, I mean, it was on that writing. That part of the book was so good. I almost like it's like pages. It's like in the 90s, I want to say. And I was like, wait, what are we going to do now? Because that was like, oh, I mean, yeah. And he's telling you how many seconds it's been and like what time it is. And he kind of like starts the chapter talking about where everybody is, including the guy who starts the fire and then the people in the bar, like where they're physically located. And then it starts. And then he talks about like this vacuum and just it's like so vivid. It's, it's, it's masterful. I mean, it's a, it's a puzzle that he, he strings together in a, in a way that, that I I can't imagine how, how difficult that was. And it's Mm -hmm. also, it's a, it's a footnoted, not footnoted. It's a, whatever they are when the notes are in the back Mm -hmm. of the book. Um, But it's, you know, so you can see, I mean, where each piece of information came from. And a lot of the people, I mean, a number of people survived. The Mm -hmm. bartender um, got many people out through a back exit that, you know, they wouldn't have known about. And, um, because there was no exit sign because nobody came to check. Correct. And, um, you know, it's, I was up a flight of stairs and everyone been drinking all day. So when he does go through it, it's, I mean, it is, it is, it's harrowing and it's harrowing because you're, you're sort of seeing it through the eyes of the people who were in the room that survived. Mm. And that's just, I mean, I don't think I've ever read such a, the, the people that made it out alive and some of them did later die, but with injuries, I mean, it, it is, it's harrowing to, to, to read. Yeah. Like about the language this. she uses like for their skin. Cause it's thing. exactly, yeah, it's, it's really it's, graphic. It's direct. It's very it's, graphic. And I know people get uncomfortable with that, sure. but I, I think read it anyways. Correct. Cause through. it's, but it's also to your point. It's only like six pages or right, 10 pages. Right. I mean the, that piece of it isn't. Yeah. But yeah. it is gruesome and it's, you know, I, and but he does it's really well done. It's yeah. not exploitative, but it is also not sugar coated. Right. Which I often hate where it's like, and then they died. And you're like, wait a second, right. it wasn't just and then they died. Like this terrible thing happened to human bodies. And right. like that is something that should be talked about. And I don't think I'll ever get the the image and there's no there I had to Google um I learned from you about Google. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, I had to Google this image because I, I don't believe it's in the book, but they, he talks about it. And the pastor, I, the in the window. Yes. So yeah. the the pastor of the church that met there, the New Orleans MCC, who you know by all accounts just sounded like a really lovely, lovely human. human. He um, was trying to escape through the bar with the windows and uh, um, the barred windows of the bar, and his body just hung out the window for di- for hours and mm-hmm. it's in countless photos that that news reporters you know and photographers took and it speaks to what i think you know to what you to your point about like we're seeing that today just not for not mm-hmm. necessarily for gay people but we're seeing you know i mean how long was um the michael, Ohio, brown. michael brown thank you i mean his body lay there yeah. for how long and the you know it's it's and the it's little just, girl 
um, whose mom was taken. There was like a little girl at the border and she became like the face of that like Ray- Rice's drive, yes. member. Yes. I thought you were talking about No, this. not in this. Yeah, like, like, no, no, no. It was during, for yeah, for immigration. immigration. Yeah. But like these people become these images of injustice and he right. definitely was even though at the time right it wasn't that at the time it was like look right we don't care we don't, we don't care enough about this to move this man right to a, a private I mean, place I don't or know. even I mean, like a sheet or something right like right you know obviously it's and, a crime scene and et cetera et cetera and but. i think i mean you know i mean i don't i don't want to put thoughts in the minds of the the, the officers but it also is i it feels like it's not a it's, it's almost like a warning, like, right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, don't, don't live this lifestyle. Don't be yourself. Don't right. drink. You know, obviously I don't think New Orleans cared if you drank, but, um, I don't know. It's just, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a compounded tragedy on, on a, on yeah. a, on, on an unthinkable evening. Well, and the police, not so much the fire, but the police people were incompetent as at best. Right. And they were hateful. Right. I would say also, and there was a, an institutional disregard and disrespect of these men and women who were killed right. or people, I guess was another way of saying that who were killed and, you know, from not interviewing suspects, not following up, not doing the work, not keeping evidence, not like there's just so much. And we, that is also a page from history, especially when we talk about like the civil rights movement and like the lynching of black people. Like that is what I like to call the jig as in the jig is up. That is the jig. That is the move. It's like, if we don't take this seriously and enter this into and enter this as something that's important, then it just gets lost. And we are the gatekeepers of that. Right. And it's like you wonder why people have a distrust of police. It's not because police are bad people necessarily. It's because the history of the office of being a police officer is being a gatekeeper to whose victimization is matters or not. Right. You know, and to your, I mean, to, because it is such a theme, an accidental or not accidental, but a sub theme of the book, this, this intersectionality piece, he writes about a, a case at the time where I think it was some uh, some fraternity guys killed a a, a gay man in a in a you know robbery gone wrong sort of like what we were talking about earlier and they the the uh, defense used this case that his because he was effeminate that his skull was softer mm. and the jury believed it and right. so it's you know I think and that's what we see today with you know the, the Brock Turners of the oh, world yeah, sure. the you know these men like you you just can get away with stuff right. and against a, a marginalized community. Right. It's just so much. And, and well, right. And like Harvey milk, the whole Twinkie defense for Dan right. white, which right. is like crazy. Um, which actually brings me to something that I do want to talk about, which is the gay liberation movement part of this book, yeah. which I felt was the weakest part of the book. Like I was the least interested in that part because I didn't always feel like, it was connected as much as as I wanted it to be, which might have just been the history. I think that, but I think that's the point, sort right. of. And it, it also was sort of had that really sad hiccup where like somebody came in and tried to like run the um, the new MCC or like was right. the new leader and was a and scammer. Then he stole money, right? I just I don't know. I feel like there's so much work that has been done as part of like the gay liberation movement that that stuff felt. Like it wasn't really part of that movement. It felt, you know, peripheral in a way that I was kind of just like, I didn't, I just didn't feel like that part of the thesis of the book came together as fluidly. Like, I don't know if he drew, the lines weren't clear enough for me what the point was. I I sort of, I hear what you're saying. I thought the point was that, I thought the point was that this tragedy happened and nothing happened. Right. And what in any other, what in any other movement would have been this because again i don't you know at the time because no one was charged because Mm -hmm. there was no um you know no one knew the cause um this would have been a rallying cry for gay people and it wasn't and that's and i think that's like the the, you know the movement itself sort of needs to look at that too i mean i think it's twofold i mean one you know if you lived in richmond virginia you might not have ever known about it because 
And at get, the time. At the time, right. I mean, it was, I think, it was, I think it was on like one nightly news, mm-hmm. like CBS, I think mentioned it. They said the, it made it like international and everything for like one day. Right. Yeah. So if you're, you know, late for, if you're late getting home from work, there's no <laughs> you know, TV it's though. not, there's no, and there's no Twitter. There's no, right. you know, so it would have been very easy to have just not known right. that this happened. And I think, I, I mean, I, I, I hear your point because like, it, it, it's a funny, I think part of it's a funny like bit of the subtitle. Mm-hmm. Part of the subtitle subtitle is the rise of gay liberation. It, it almost needs like a parenthet- parenthetical or lack thereof. Right. Because yes, correct. It, it didn't, it did not inspire what it should have inspired. Right. Um, and like, it wasn't a rallying cry like Stonewall or Harvey Milk or, you know, later he talks about Anita Bryant who had, who was part of making sure that gay people were seen as less than human for just a little bit longer. Right. Um, and the work done around Anita Bryant. I mean, that's another book that I would love to read the, the book about mm-hmm. fighting Anita, the Anita Bryant fight, which is part a of idea. a lot of, Yes, please pay me royalties, um, which is part of a lot of the gay liberation movement. I think that was like a huge turning point from what little reading I have done. Like I know in Cleve Jones's autobiography, he talks about it a ton and it is part of the Harvey Milk movie. Like it's part of – it was a turning point yeah. essentially. And I feel like there was kind of – in this book, it felt like he wanted – to, yeah, so it just it, didn't quite completely. Yeah, I, I hear you because you know we, we, what you were saying earlier about like when the author like takes you to the water, but you you yeah. know, you choose to drink. He could have like given you the glass on this one. Yeah, I need a, a little. little I need to get yeah. a little closer. I think that that's a fair. I was like near I, the. Yeah. I was in you know near the ocean, but I wasn't fully there. Sure. But I think one of the most important things that I have learned through this book a little bit and just through other reading when it comes to this kind of when it comes to like the gay liberation movement is that the thing that ended up being the most probably challenging and the most influential was when people started coming out right? because their families and their friends were voting against their brothers and sisters, even if their families weren't homo. Everybody was probably a little homophobic because it was socialized in you, but like you had mothers and fathers who loved their sons more than they cared that they were gay and didn't even know their kids were gay and that the coming out was like so important to that. You also had people whose kids came out and they, you know, never spoke to them again right? or never talked to them again. But I, I can't remember the exact line. It's not in this book. I think it was something that Harvey Milk used to say, but it was like, they're voting against you because they don't know that you, that they're voting against right. you. They and don't it, know who you are. Yeah, the, and then, yeah, I know the line. It's not it's that, some, but it's something, something that's like the that. Same, yeah, that's what it, um, yes. And I, I think, I mean, one of the things that is so, I think one of the tra- other tragedies of the death toll is that three of the people who died were never identified. Right. And I think it's because it's because of that. I mean, I think that they probably had families nearby who just didn't want to admit. So right. they never said, they never went to the cops and said, Oh, Johnny's right. missing. Right. Or. Yeah. Yeah. The point is that of course, in the end, the hardest thing is like the most effective, right? The hardest thing. It's like you're forcing the victimized to do the work. Right. But, you know, and that's what ends up being effective, right. which is terrible and also kind of inspiring in a way. It's like you control your own destiny, which is a little bit naive, but that there is some of that yeah. in this, which brings a little bit of like a hopeful tinge to a garbage situation and also makes you feel miserable, which is life. Wait, wait, so you mean that like... I mean that it's hopeful in the sense that like that there is some blueprint that involves you being able to change your own destiny. Mm -hmm. And then it's also miserable because it's like, why should I have to do the work? Why can't you just see humans as humans? Sure. I mean, and I think some of that speaks to like the white privilege because most, most of the people were white. I mean, there were, there were a few black victims, but just one, just one, just one who died. Okay. There might've been others in the bar. Uh, yeah, so one black person and one woman. That sounds about like uh, most gay yeah. gay rights. I'm yeah. just kidding. Uh, sadly, I'm not. Um, but you know, I mean, I think that that sort of speaks to the the privilege of a lot of the, the even though they were completely marginalized. Like like you said, like when you walk into a room, I see you're a woman. I see that you're black. These were men who served in the military, who had jobs at oil companies, mm-hmm. who you know had upstanding, whatever that means, jobs. Right. And to to have come out after this and to have fought for any meaningful change would have been 
uh, they would have lost their jobs. Likely they might've lost families. Some of them were married to women and it, and it's a, it's a privilege. And I don't know if it's a privilege in the way that we talk about like white privilege or, or, or other privileges today, but it is, it is a privilege to not have to do that. And this is a singular case of that, of, of, you know, uh, that, that doesn't by, by this, I mean, being gay is uh, like you said, you don't walk into the room. Right. You have the ability to be closeted in any moment when you are still out in the world. Like you can be both things at once and you can use, your identity in varied ways, which a lot of other marginalized identities cannot. cannot. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think also like worth noting, cause we're, we are getting to the end, but worth noting is that a lot of these men who survived were so traumatized, including like go, having to go to work the next day and hearing people make jokes about burn. Oh, the, one of the, um, the, yeah, he says, um, you know, uh, what are they going to do with the body? How are they going to bury the bodies in, in, in fruit jars right. or um, like burning faggot jokes was a big, right. you know, that, big, uh, yeah. and, and one of the guys had, had left the bar 30 minutes before and he had to drive back to Houston that night. I mean, that's yeah. the other thing, thinking about that, like thinking about you have got to drive to another state to find a community and right. Cause he was working on a military base in, in Texas. Right. And so he was going to new Orleans to see his friends and he was closeted in his military life, but was out, you know, at just when right. he was at Miles his bar, away. basically. Right. And he's like hearing it on the radio. Right. Ooh. And then, and, and then the next day at, uh, in the military at work, they're, you know, making, you know, burning faggot jokes. Right. And it's, um, yeah, it's, I, 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 that I can't, I can't imagine the trauma. Right. That. There, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it is, a particularly gruesome crime and fallout and because of the social moment made even worse, like because of the acceptability of these kinds of jokes and things. Um, Do you have any books that you might recommend to people or movies or whatever um, about that might be like a good companion piece to this book? Because I feel like this book, at least for me, made me want to read more stuff about this moment in queer history and activism. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned the Cleve Jones mm-hmm. book, I think, really when, we, when, we Rise, when We Rise. Yeah, which had a miniseries. Um, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I listened to it. It's great. He narrates it. Um, yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. it's really good. Um, another one uh, is, came out, I think, last year by um, Timothy Stewart Winter. It's called Queer Clout. Okay. And it's sort of like an activism mm-hmm. a book that looks at the activism in the queer mm-hmm. community. So it sort of picks up on the gay liberation, you know, that, yeah. that piece that, that you felt was missing from here. This is, um, sort of largely, um, that, that he covers that. Um, and then coming forward in um, the book, um, Sarah McBride's book, uh, tomorrow will be different mm. is about, um, uh, it's sort of a, tra- it's, it's a book about the trans experience. Right. It's hopeful. It's realistic. Um, and really beautifully written. And she, she talks about, um, she's the, um, She's at HRC. I can't remember her title, but mm-hmm. she um, uh, it, it looks at the trans experience in a really good way. It doesn't deal, you know, it's not. It's like fast forward to yes, where we are now. Exactly. What's the struggle now. Interesting. I also, the other thing that doesn't, which is like crazy to me that barely comes up in this book is this happened in 1973 and flash forward like seven years and all of a sudden AIDS. Right. And I just think about these men who survived this and then what happened to them. Like, I want to know what their lives were like for the last 40 years and how long they lived and what they did and what, what they're like now. Like I just, I, yeah, I just feel like there's like this whole other thing that's just like waiting in the wings for them that like the reader knows about. Right. Isn't it so weird to read about, right. When you read about anything gay pre 81, Mm -hmm. 82 and, and I mean, it's, it's almost like a hurricane before Mm -hmm. um, radar. I mean, it's just this, and you, and, right. and particularly for when you think about what, like you said, like what the, this, the, the people that survived this and then had to watch right. people, you know, more people die. Right. It's, yeah, it, it, it's heartbreaking. It's I have a hard, I, yeah. I, I, I sometimes can't wrap my mind around. Yeah. Have but, you read, um, the band played on by I, Randy? I have not. I've not read it either. I have it. It's so big and intimidating, but it's one of the things that I really want to get to because I think though some of it is a little bit fabricated, um, when it comes to patient zero, that whole thing. Right. But I think some of it is pretty, it's supposed to make you pretty pissed. I'm also excited about, and this is 
predating even predating this, but there's it just came out um, when Brooklyn was queer, mm. which is a look at sort of like queer Brooklyn and mm-hmm. queer New York and and a time when you know there was a real community. I mean that mm-hmm. that that thrived in a way that I think you only can in a city like New York, right. even in the you know early 1900s. Right. Well, I feel like Cleve Jones's book which is like right before AIDS, basically, he does a great job of talking about like what it was like before and like the freedom and the, you know, the fabulousness and all of right. that, that like is just that hurricane analogy is great. Um, it's just like wiped out. Okay. So the last two things we have to talk about are just the title and the cover. Oh yeah. What did you think? We kind of talked about the title, like the subtitle a little bit. Um, do they bring up anything for you? The, I, you know, I, it's funny. I ha- I hadn't thought about it, and I forgot that that was a question because mm. I I I knew I know that you asked that. Um, you're right about the subtitle. I think we're in agreement there. That could have been a little. Um, it could have changed. But I do think it's right on for what the book is, except for he just needs like the evolution, right. or like the and the involvement of or something, right? right. Um, Tenderbox to me, it, I don't know. Like it doesn't it doesn't um, have any doesn't ring. It sort of falls neutral, and I feel like there might be a more powerful title. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Um, I see. I liked it. Okay. I, when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this is about a fire." Like I knew mm-hmm. I didn't. Obviously, I, the subtitle helps, but I didn't know what fire. But I like the cover and the title to me like work well together. I also love that it's blue and yellow and not like orange and red and like really in your face. And I like that it's a picture from the time. I always like when the pic, when the cover is like contemporaneous to the story. I do like the photo a lot. I love Um, the photo. I actually think it's a really good looking book. Yes, I agree. It's a good package. Yeah. Insider term. Oh, I didn't know that. Good package. Okay. Well, do we have anything else we want to say? I didn't do movie. Did you have any casting? If this would make um, a great movie. So I can't believe we didn't talk about this, but um, somebody wrote a musical. It's a, a few years ago. Max Vernon, is a composer in New York, wrote a musical called The View Upstairs. Oh. And um, I haven't seen it. I've heard some of the music, but it's... Um, about this. Yeah. It is about wow. the, the fire and, and about... I think a lot of it is sort of... I think you get the bar, like a lot of mm-hmm. action happens at the bar, the which bar. I, you know, I, I'm interested in. I mean, you'd have to have that for the right. movie or for, right. Um, if you made it a movie though, you could make it more of like the hunt for the guy, like right. that, like you could have kind of like the three storylines really easily, really sure. easy. Cause it's like, there's the hunt for the guy, there's the gay liberation and there's in the bar and the victims and like what happened that yeah. day. I'd kind of want more of the latter. I mean, I really want to know yeah, more the, about yeah. what happened and the people in there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have casting though. I mean, I know on, because I think you're you're exactly right when you said that there and this is no one's fault, but there are like five Roberts and I mean, right. there's just a lot of there's a lot um, of just like white white guys and I mean I think also anything about a southern city just allows for some you know interesting characters I mean, right that's of, true too you know I would love to see if they made this movie to actually cast out gay actors because there are so many are there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it's like, you know, you're going to get Harvey, like the milk movie with like Sean Penn. It's like, couldn't you find someone? I mean, and he did great in it, whatever, right. blah, blah, blah. But like, why not cast right. some gay dudes in this movie? I, I think that would be the only sort of downside for me about the movie is that it would, it would be so many men. Yeah. And just cause I mean, there was one right. woman who died. There were a few other women there and you know, women just don't play a huge part in the right. story. I mean, there, there's a supportive mom, there's uh, one of the guys was married to a woman and she yeah. was fully supportive of his. And then there's the woman that the guy who said the fire married, who changed her name to his name, even though he wouldn't have sex with her. I died. I forgot about that part. That was pretty crazy. That was wild. Um, Anyways. Yeah. There's yeah. not a lot of women parts. Yeah. There's, I mean, it, this movie would lack a ton of diversity. However, I do feel like it's a super interesting story that Completely. hasn't been told that I would push my need for diversity and everything to the side if it was told by that group. And, like I yeah, don't need the well green done. book of this story. I don't Absolutely need it to be produced not. by Brad Pitt. Or like, the um the Queen movie. Yeah. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. by Brian Singer. But no he thanks. is gay. No thanks, Brian Singer. Anyways. We 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 don't count him. Well uh, he's not even he's Do you do you guys want him? No. <laughs> Black people or <laughs> women? <laughs> Nobody wants him. I, I meant you straight people. He's fired. Um, do we have anything else we want to throw in or add about this before can you, we go? Just can you believe we got through a whole podcast and didn't talk about Charles Manson? Now we have. <laughs> also suggested good reading. 
Manson by Jeff by Jeff Gwynn Gwyn. and obviously Helter Skelter by Victor Vincent Bugliosi. Vincent How dare Bugliosi. you? Vincent I'm Bugliosi. so sorry. May he May rest, he rest in, in peace. peace. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Joseph. Thank you for having me and talking about a gay book. Yay. And we'll see you guys in the stacks. Okay, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Joseph Papa for being our guest. If you want more on Tinderbox, check out our interview with Robert Fiesler from May 20th. Everything we talked about on today's episode can be found in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. Or check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks and join the fun. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, take a moment to rate and review. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagiragis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, and I will see you in the stacks. 